Welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist podcast that understands that distance from patriarchal thought is the foundation of building safer spaces. Today we have Zoe and Laura. We're going to be talking about um, a new book called Making Spaces Safer, A Guide to Giving Harassment the Boot Where You Work, Play, and Gather. The book includes sections on accountability, how to flirt without being a creep, what to do if you're being harassed, and one called This is What Justice Looks Like. We have the author here with us to discuss these really important topics. Um, She's a musician, activist, educator, writer, the lead singer of the band War on Women. Welcome, Shauna Potter. Thank you. (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) I feel welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, So you've been an anti-harassment activist for a long time, um, including like lyrics that you've written and running Safer Space Workshops. um, And you had a shorter like handbook version of making spaces safer before this. So what was the process like when you decided to write this kind of like longer version of that? Oh, God. Um, can I say terrible? Uh, <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not the first time we've heard that about the process of writing a book. <laughs> For real. Yeah, it's like all your worst nightmares of English class. Um, <laughs> but you're doing it to yourself. No one's forcing you to do it. Uh, no, it's, um, it's, uh, it's, I've gotten very used to writing short form. I'll say that, you know, lyrics. We have one song where it's just basically one sentence that I say the entire song. I had an abortion over and over and over again. Amazing. So to actually (laughs) write a full-length book for me was a feat. Um, But like most things, it takes a village. So I had a very supportive editor um, with a strong editing hand and a lot of ideas, which I really relied on. Um, And of course... A lot of the basic ideas in this book are not new. I didn't invent bystander intervention. You know, I didn't invent restorative justice. Um, It's just the way I'm laying it out for your average person um, that, you know, that I had to figure out what's the best way to reach the most people with these ideas that some people consider radical, but really they should be very normal, very basic. Yeah, definitely. Um, and one of the things uh, you obviously are very intentional about using safer space versus safe space. Um, so I thought before we dive in, it could be good to just kind of discuss the um, differences and like why you chose to use safer space. Yeah. I, you know, when I started um, the Safer Spaces program in Baltimore um, about five, six years ago, with two amazing people, Melanie Kellner, <laughs> Melanie Keller, and Corey Reedy, um, it we didn't even think about it. It was just the obvious choice. That's what we're going to call it: safer spaces. Um, and so I had to kind of revisit why we chose that. And it's just the simple idea that you you cannot control any environment 100%. You cannot control other people's words or actions. And it's not about that, you know. I know some people, when they hear the phrase safer space, they cry, free speech, I should be able to be a jerk wherever I want. And (laughs) the thing is, yeah, you can. Legally, you can be a jerk wherever you want. Um, So it's just the idea that it's safer because the people in charge of that space or that have a stake in it 
are aware, one, that people are harassed and that some people are harassed more than others or, or, you know, different people have different needs. And when people are harassed, that you you have the power to respond in a way that is helpful and can reduce some of the trauma Mm -hmm. associated and harm associated with that harassment. But you also have the power to really mess it up and make it worse. So um, I just want to spell out in this book, like, what are the ways to kind of do it the right way and keep the victim at the center of the incident and make sure they retain as much power as possible? Yeah, I loved that distinction. Um, And I so I wanted to bring up that I think this has been something really cool to see at various shows within the last five years, especially Um, bands like Speedy Ortiz and Diet Sig have statements on harassment and also talk about it before they start playing like they want to know the audience. They want the audience to know that they'll leverage their power in whatever way they can to make the audience feel safer. and I think a lot of this started in the Riot Girl era, you know, like when Kathleen, Kathleen Hanna says girls are the front, she's specifically calling out that girls have not felt safe in the punk scene for a really long time. Um, and so I guess my question is, like, how has being a musician influenced your perspective on this topic? And also as a musician myself, I'm wondering if you have tips for musicians on how to create this um, safer space at venues. Um, I'll, I'll answer the second one first. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, really, um, it's all about the first thing is to just acknowledge that you do have influence. You do have power. Um, whether you're in the band on the stage, whether you work at a venue, whether you're in the audience, whether you're the person being harassed. And so that's what I hope this book lays out is that there is always an option. There's always something for you to do to help. So, Specifically, what bands can do is just like you said, is um, make statements about harassment. Talk about the fact that if someone is harassed, they can come to you or tell them who they should go to if they're harassed at your show. Um, Putting up gender neutral bathroom signs, Mm -hmm. um, asking in your writer before you clear the show um, what their harassment policy is. And even if a club doesn't have one, at least you know, the more bands ask for it, the more they'll feel the pressure to create one and actually get some protocols together. Um, so just things like that. There's a ton of power of just having a microphone, mm-hmm. you know, with a PA behind you. You can say whatever you want. So why not say something that makes people feel better about being where they are and enjoying your show? Um, I think that I, you know, I think like a lot of people, but, you know, a lot of women, Um, I have been harassed since I was, I don't know, 12, 13. Um, (laughs) and, uh, it's just, it's something that I've kind of had my own personal journey with, you know, um, when I was younger, it was very easy to be like, whatever, screw you. Like Mm -hmm. I wear what I want. I'm mad, you know? And after a while you get tired of that reactionary, feeling. And then I was just like in my early twenties and just thinking, wait, this is still happening. And I know it sounds silly, but, but, but in my early twenties, I was like, aren't I already too old for this? Like, (laughs) like how much longer? (laughs) Yeah. Like how much longer will this go on? Like I thought everyone was obsessed with youth. I'm not a teenager. So like, what, 
why? And now I'm in my 30s and kind of still like, wait, yeah. still what is when when can I be too old for you to look at, please? Um, which is its own issue. But anyway, so just kind of like having this different relationship with harassment and like mm-hmm. what like sometimes I'm angry about it and sometimes I want to speak up for myself and sometimes I'm just busy and I want to move on with my life and sometimes it weighs me down and sometimes it inspires me to do more. So I think playing in bands, you know, I've toured all around the country. I've been playing music in a band since I was 14 years old and and I started doing that in Nashville and so it was very easy to play a show at like 14, 15 years old. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're just in an environment that is not rife with harassment, but people almost accept it as more normal, more okay that something like that would happen in a bar or a club. And I don't know if cuz it's cuz it's at night or the lights are low sure, or there's alcohol yeah. or or what, but you're just sort of expected to be like, okay, thank you. Please don't touch me. Okay. And, Mm. and just move on and just keep watching the show or leave. And I just got really tired of that idea that people would have to leave their good time, which might be seeing my band play because they don't want to be harassed. And I don't know. So that's one element of realizing, you know, venues can actually do so much to make sure that it's the people that want to harass that either don't show up or stop doing what they're doing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So one part of the book that I wanted to talk about is um, actually in the intro, but you list a few specific findings from a study that was done at uh, the Worker Institute at Cornell. Um, So I'm just going to read those for since the book, when this episode drops will be brand new. So people probably have not read it yet. Um, But so the first one was when bystanders fail to act, their presence tended to compound targets, negative emotional responses, um, which you clarify in the book means that when someone sees harassment happening, but doesn't like to intervene, it makes the victim feel even worse than if they had just been there alone. Um, And then the second one is bystander interventions that had a positive influence on targets could be as simple as a knowing look. And the third one, when a bystander took action by confronting the harasser, harassment was more likely to stop. Um, And one of the reasons this section really resonated with me is because I feel like a lot of people feel helpless to stopping harassment because it's such a big task. But this made it clear that, like, there are such simple things you can do that will still, like, you know, mitigate some of the negative impacts that it has on the victim. And, like, as someone who has experienced harassment, as I think, you know, the majority of women have, um, like, for me, I definitely want, like, words of affirmation. I think different people want different things, and even different things at different times. Like, sometimes you don't want to talk about it, and you want someone to, like, silently watch a movie with you. Um, Sure. But, like, just knowing that you can have a positive impact on someone by, like, providing pretty, like, simple support and not necessarily being able to, like, tackle the whole issue. Um, but so what I wanted to ask was like, what are some other tips that you give bystanders on how to kind of make the victim have like as least of a negative repercussion of the experiences as possible? Yeah, I I think people do have this fear that the only thing you're allowed to do is get angry and confront the Mm -hmm. harasser or something, or that you have to get in a fight or risk your personal safety. 
and you absolutely do not. You you can't help anyone if you are also in danger in some way. So this this book does not encourage violence um, <laughs> at all. And and I want everyone to be safe, but there's plenty of options. So not not only for that, but you know, think about the fact that sometimes the only other people around are also marginalized people that are worried about harassment. Sometimes there's just a size or strength difference. Sometimes it's as simple as just your personality. You're just not that confrontational. And so talking to anyone about anything would make you uncomfortable, let alone, hey, stop harassing that person. So there are options for everyone. And by knowing kind of what all the options are, it makes it a little easier to figure out what's going to work best in every situation because every situation is a little different. So one is just that knowing look of, or just checking in with the victim and just, you know, just saying like, hey, are you okay? I, I saw what just happened. That looked really rough. And giving them that opportunity to vent if they want to um, and just letting them know that like they're not alone. Someone else saw what they went through. And I don't like to use the word crazy, um, but I'm, I have trouble finding another one because I, what I think people think in those moments, uh, their knee-jerk reaction is, am I crazy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did anyone else see that? Mm-hmm. And, and they just want to know that they're not, that, that what happened was weird or was scary or frustrating or offensive or whatever. So checking in with the victim is a big one that anyone can do, especially after the sort of danger is gone. Um, but other options are directly confronting the harasser and just saying like, Hey, that's not cool. Or, Hey, we don't say that here. Or if you're going to keep talking like that, you're going to have to leave, you know, things like that. Um, but you can also distract the harasser, which I think is my personal favorite because you can have a lot of fun with it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can make it like a game. Um, so I like, sometimes I like, you know, just try to act really like vapid or stupid and see what I can get away with without the harasser realizing what I'm doing and, and just be like, hi, I love your shirt. You know, just like, just whatever it is, just get in between the harasser and the victim and distract them with something. Ask them for the time. Talk about how great their outfit is or when does this bus arrive or, you know, just whatever. Just shoot the shit with them. Uh, give them, give the victim an opportunity to get away in that moment. And I don't know that anyone would get really mad at you for asking what time it is. Mm. So there are other options, of course, in the book. There's plenty in the book, but that's (laughs) just a couple, tip of the iceberg. Here's a couple that you can use right now (laughs) or tomorrow when it comes up. Yeah. When it inevitably comes up tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Yeah. And I wanted to add to Zoe's question a little bit, too. Like, I thought it was pretty crucial when you pointed out that if someone who who's a victim of harassment comes to you with their story and you say something like, he really just did that just because you did blah, 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 and how invalidating those little undercuts can be. Um, And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what some of the alternatives of supportive language are that people who might not be present at the time of the incident, but are hearing about something that happened from a friend or coworker or whoever. Yeah, I think it's really easy for most people 
to go into a couple different modes when we hear something like that. So one is going to be the, I'm just sharing your disbelief. I can't believe that that happened, um, which reads to a victim like, well, why don't you believe me? I'm telling you what happened, mm -hmm. right? Um, there's also, you know, people go into a mode where they're like, oh, yeah, well, that happened to me, too, one time. <laughs> and let me tell you all about my experience. Mm. And when it's like, well, what, well, how about we focus on me? Because this is I started the story like I need to get this out. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that people do is they start to problem solve and like, oh, well, just don't walk down that street anymore or don't see that guy or don't go to that club or, you know, whatever mm. it might be. Which, again, not helpful and not, not really the point. So the point of someone sharing their story with you, first and foremost, they're looking for validation. They're looking for that, again, that idea, you're not alone. I believe what you went through. That sounds tough. Are you okay? <laughs> like they're looking for care. Yeah. Um, and they just want to be heard. So I always think about that that <laughs> very basic idea that we have two ears and one mouth, right? <laughs> we should be listening twice as much as we're talking. So first, just listen. That's what they want. They just want you to listen to them. And then I try to, you know, say things that don't sound investigative, like you're trying to get yes. to the bottom of a case. It's not really about that, like, well, why or where or what, it's about how, like, how are you feeling? Like, are you okay now? Or do you feel comfortable telling me what happened or who it was, if I can help? Or, um, well, that sounds really tough. Do you want me to do anything? Like, I kind of know that guy. Do you want me to talk to him? You know, like, things like that. Um, supportive things. But don't just go straight for the solution. Don't go straight to talking about yourself. And don't go straight to disbelief mm. yeah it's kind of wild I'm realizing like I have totally had people go right into the solution mode and I'm realizing like part of the reason why that sits so weirdly with me other than you know kind of everything you just outlined but also like I don't want to have to change my fucking behavior <laughs> I don't want to have to change my behavior because someone else is like doing their <laughs> right. like fucked up shit I don't know like I just think like when we say like, oh, you should do that, you're just doing the same shit of like, well. That everyone else is doing. <laughs> right. You're like, well, girls shouldn't wear short skirts and then maybe boys will stop like harass. Like, no, that shit is yeah. like so obnoxious. And if we're just going to like feed into that somehow. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. We, we didn't do anything wrong by existing. Right. It's not us that needs to change. So no, I don't need that kind of solution, this kind right. of solutions we need and the kind that are in this book are about how do we change the tone in the community? How do we yes. change w the idea of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable? And how do we intervene when we see that stuff happen? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that goes really well into something else I wanted to kind of bring up, which is um, talking about the Me Too movement, which I think has taken on various faces I think it looks different to like more liberal feminists as it does to us as like leftist feminists um and I mean it also is one specific way of like looking at harassment and assault when it's like forcing you know women um or the victim whoever they are to like relive their trauma in order to like prove that this is really happening to so many of us which like 
we obviously all know that it is. Um, but so I was wondering, because you've been doing this kind of activism for a long time, well before like the recent surge of the Me Too movement. So has that affected your work at all? And did that affect um, like you're writing this book at all? Well, I think it just made it so that the timing of this book is just better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think um, like I I didn't invent this phrase. Um, I well. I'm thinking of a quote, and I, and I can't, uh, I'll butcher it, but but there's this idea that in, in any movement, um, progressive movement, civil rights of any kind, like, you first have to raise awareness about the issue, and you do that by telling stories and humanizing the issue and making it real to people and showing people what it actually looks like. How does it actually impact people? What's really happening? And so that's been going on with street harassment in different forms, technically like over the last hundred years, actually, but like really in full force, like in the early 2000s. And it just became this like slowly rolling snowball that, you know, after, you know, in the last five years mm-hmm. got much bigger and much faster. And so that, in addition to Me Too breaking big, we have the stories. We got them. Like, we know what's happening. Everyone finally is like, all right, <laughs> harassment and assault exist. Okay. <laughs> and of course, folks that were happy to ignore that until they couldn't anymore, mm-hmm. which is the point of raising awareness and story sharing, they immediately jump to, well, what do we do? Okay, fine. It happens. Tell me what to do right now, you know, mm. as if they're even ready to hear that. Um, right after hearing one story, like maybe from like a friend that they actually know and they're like, Oh, well, if it happened to my friend, maybe I care. No, that's an aside. (laughs) Anyway, now I'm just being critical for no reason. No, I mean, Um, that is, that is like a lot of men, unfortunately. (laughs) I mean, it's a lot of anyone, but well, white people too. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so finally I think we're at this critical mass where enough people are asking, well, what do we do? And so that's where this Mm -hmm. book fits in is yeah. now is the time where the allies, um, you know, can turn into accomplices and actually take part in undoing the harm that marginalized people experience. Mm-hmm. But they just need to know what to do. And I find that most of these ideas and tactics and protocols and whatever that I've laid out in the book that I've been doing and trainings for years most of these ideas, as soon as I say it out loud or as soon as you read it on the page, it clicks and you go, oh, yeah, of course, that makes so much sense. Like, oh, of course, you would just say it like this and not like this. Like, that's obviously going to make a victim feel better, right? Mm. But you just have to hear it. You just have to know that that someone has been doing the work and knows that these tactics work. Like, I don't, I don't, I mean, I guess I'm an expert. I don't know. That's... <laughs> Hell yes. You guys can decide that for me. I don't, I don't know, but I, but it's, (laughs) yes, we we would both say yes. Okay. All right. So like, yeah, you an expert. (laughs) So you just need to hear someone with some authority say, this is what you say. And you go, oh yeah. Okay, cool. And you do it and you realize just how easy it is and how intuitive, how quickly it becomes intuitive that it just makes sense to do. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to talk about the psychological piece you tap into a little bit. Um, 
And as someone who's experienced a lot of harassment in a myriad of forms, and as someone who has the added layer of trauma and PTSD symptoms, which I think is also common for, unfortunately, a lot of folks, um, thinking about harassment and how it affects the body was really validating for me. I didn't know about like the Harvard study that had said repeated activation of the stress response takes a toll on on the body, although it is like extremely intuitive. Um, Harassment is extremely stressful. And you go in to say, like you go into why when you say, even if it's not like quote unquote that bad of harassment, you don't know if it will get worse. I think about this all of the time. If I'm walking down the street and someone harasses me from their car or on the sidewalk, a whole slew of things go through my head. Like, what if this person escalates the situation if I confront them? What if they escalate it even if I ignore them? When I've ignored people, I've gotten the like, hey, baby, do you hear me? Or like kind of stuff. So it's so impossible not to react. Um, And of course, they're like, I was only trying to compliment you or whatever the fuck. But like. The reality is that every time someone harasses you, there is an implicit threat. There is an threat to my body and to my mind, and you have no idea of what level of escalation that might go to. And it's terrifying. Yeah. And that's why the bystander stuff is so crucial that you spoke about, because the person who is getting harassed might not be able to respond for a whole bunch of reasons. But if someone who is removed, especially if that person holds privilege, if they're white or if they're a man, um, can call it out, it takes that burden off of the victim as well. Um, and I don't, I guess that's not like a question, but I was just like, <laughs> let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, like you might be experiencing a, a fear response, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I, I wanted to include all of this background information in the book um, like what you were talking about or why we sometimes freeze up, uh, in the moment or can't remember our story in a perfectly like linear way, um, when we're really like harmed or assaulted. And I, I wanted to include all this stuff because usually when I do a training and someone has a hang up about something or, well, why do people do this when they're harassed? Like, I feel like I could just explain it with science. Mm. Like, like once you know the reasons why, uh, you know, the frontal lobe might shut down when you get scared, then you're not going to care if the victim is smiling politely at someone yelling at her, you know, um, you're just going to step in and do something. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I also just think it's really fascinating and it was validating for me as well. Um, and it does illustrate why it's so important that bystanders get involved so that we can just start to lessen the trauma that we're all carrying around. And I know we kind of keep saying like him and her a lot mm-hmm. with, with these conversations. Um, but like this book is not about man versus woman harassment. Um, it, it really does apply to any harassment based on someone's marginalized identity. Mm-hmm. Um, so it covers gender, sexuality, race, religion, ability, size, age. You know, it, it, in a way, it's good to spell those things out and make that clear to bystanders what they might need to start looking for. Totally. When they need to recognize harassment, but also in a way it can be 
vague because it doesn't matter <laughs> what kind of harassment it is. You can still use these tactics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the like really successful things about the book is that you do use like very inclusive language and like in the intro kind of explain like how you're using the term victim um, and like, you know, kind of those sorts of things. And like, you know, going back to visiting like other uh, or like all marginalized folks and just making it like an inclusive book. So, yes. yes. But like, that's why, that's why I say like, we're all carrying around some trauma, like add up all the people that could identify as everything other than cisgender white male. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> if you take out all cisgender white men, able-bodied, neurotypical, you know, everyone else, we far outnumber them, Yeah, you know? So like we are all experiencing all of those folks. The majority of people are experiencing some sort of harassment for being who we are. Yeah. And so that's a lot of, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of trauma walking around that needs to be dealt with that I don't see our healthcare system taking care of anytime soon. So we might as well take care of each other. We might as well do that for each other. We can do that. Yeah, um, absolutely. And in light of how damaging this stuff can be, and I know neoliberal capitalism has co-opted the ideas of self-care, um, but can you tell us your favorite tips on how to self soothe after an incident of harassment? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's still tough for me. Um, it's still tough for me to, to do that right. Yeah. Um, you <laughs> so know. for everyone. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes I just need to, like, tell my story, get it out there. Like, first person I see or wherever I was going, I just need to tell that person. And then this happened. And then I said this. And they said that. And then, uh, can you believe it? You know, yes. like, that's me <laughs> as a victim. I'm talking. And I just want that person to be like, yeah, whoa, whoa, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Whoa. Well, I'm so glad you're okay. Yeah. Thanks for telling me that. And then I'll just feel better getting it out. I, I think venting for me is a really good one. Um, I, are you, you're, so you're saying directly after an incident of harassment? What no, I, I mean, like, I think for me, it's like a continuous process, right? Like, yeah, like how I, how anyone can kind of deal with it. But I feel like everyone has different tips and I'm just always curious about like how we're, we continue to be like functioning humans in this society. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's very true. Um, I watch a lot of TV. Mm. Uh, more than I should. Another reason why writing this book was so difficult, I had to take time away from my stories and actually write some stories. And I was like, oh, but what's Sabrina up to right now? Yes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) For example. Um, So yeah, and I love red wine. And to be a stereotype of a white lady um, right now, I love, 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 love red wine. Um, but I, I I do like to make sure that people, um, that I get, that I get to vent, um, as soon as possible. I also, you know, after doing this kind of work for a long time, I find it, I find, I almost find it like I owe the community, um, a response. Mm. Like I, I should be a person that directly confronts harassers. That that's who I should be on behalf of everyone else that can't or doesn't want to which are totally valid which by the way just for the record ignoring a harasser or pretending to ignore a harasser is a response 
Yeah. Okay. So that is not a weakness. You're not letting anyone down. You are absolutely allowed to move on with your day and get out of there safely. Mm -hmm. So that's a response. But I feel like I owe it to Hollaback to the to the world to directly confront and just, you know, basically say, that's harassment. Leave me alone and keep walking in the very least. And so when I do that for myself, that feels good. Um, and I try to say the same thing every time so that I'm not flustered or frustrated. Well, why didn't I say the perfect thing? Because the perfect thing is always that's harassment. Leave me alone or whatever, whatever I decide. Mm. And then I honestly, I get a lot of power I, or I feel really empowered by being a bystander for other people. So even though I'm a part of a marginalized community and even though I'm a little like smaller and so no one is intimidated when they see me, right? No one's afraid of my physical stature. Um, I feel good about getting in the mix somehow. So whether that's direct or I delegate or I distract, um, I, I feel like that helps me out. Like I'm paying it forward in a way and kind of hoping that the next person that sees me harassed can step in. But it makes me feel good that I can shield someone else from the harm for a little bit, even if sometimes I can't always do it for myself. And I, I challenge everyone that is harassed to, to try to do something like that for someone, speak up for someone, and it will feel really good. And it will kind of make up for those moments that you've felt disempowered, I think. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Talking to you is like, I feel very comforted right now. <laughs> oh, good. Um, yeah. So you've mentioned a couple of times, like the workshops that you run. Um, so I'm just wondering when you do the safer space workshops, like what kind of places do you do those and like what do those workshops entail? Um, I will, one, I'll train anyone up. So mm -hmm. that is um, my side hustle. And like I have, I have a day job, but this is my absolute passion. And so mm -hmm. I, I can't, I can't not do it, you know, um, and yeah, it absolutely I... supplements my income. So that's <laughs> another reason, uh, just to be real with everyone, honestly. Yeah. Um, so I will, I will train any place, um, because the people, people always need this information. This is information that is meant to be shared. And so I've done bookshops, coffee shops, sex toy shops, free farms, political meetup groups, um, bars, obviously, you know, show spaces, venues, um, uh, political, like socialist groups, you know, like I, I anywhere that people gather truly um, is worth, it's worth training people. And you know what, just last night, actually, I had someone ask me, they said, uh, they bought my book and they said, I have a private practice. It's just me really going out and meeting with people. Um, do you think you could train me to be a safer space? And I was like, yes, 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 I can. Wow. Like, like you can bring a safe, you can be the safer space. You can bring it with you wherever you go. Like there are going to be things that you you know, should be doing differently maybe or can improve upon that will help uh, victims, especially that you're working with or just marginalized people feel more comfortable around you and and provide them the space to to just be. And and I thought that was a really beautiful thing that that he thought of that. Um, so, yeah, 
I, I train a lot of places. I, I walk them through how to avoid victim blaming language. Um, cause that's easy to do in our society. Those are the messages we're fed. So how do you avoid using that kind of language? Um, walk them through, you know, active listening, <laughs> um, and believing someone doesn't mean you're putting anyone in jail for harassment, you know, uh, it just helps you support that person and make them feel more comfortable. Uh, we walk through grounding techniques in case anyone is feeling uh, really anxious or they're just kind of, you know, too upset to really tell you how you can help them. Mm. Uh, we, you, you know, I want you to be able to ground them so that you can get to that point where you can actually help them. And then we walk through um, the, you give the, victim three options. That's, that's what we call it. We give them the three options. And so what, what options do you give a victim who is just harassed? How do you say it? How do you help them through it? Then how do you follow through in a way that is calm and it doesn't escalate the situation with anyone? Um, and then, you know, then we talk about any thing that they're worried about or that they think will happen. And we do, if we're lucky and we have time and they're willing, I do role play exercises because I feel like they really help solidify the info that we go over. Hmm. Do you have any specific tactics for people that are like maybe reluctant to talk about harassment or to like even think about that? Maybe they could be someone that's made people feel uncomfortable before. Hmm. You know, (laughs) I think Sometimes I think about during these trainings, actually, I'm sure some of the people here have harassed someone. Yeah. Like, of course, like, I'm sure I've harassed someone, even if it's accidentally, you know, like as a white person, I'm sure I've said something racist in the past, like whether I knew it or not at the time, like, that's just how these power dynamics work, right? There's a lot, a lot, a lot to unlearn. So... Intention aside, you can be confident that some of these people <laughs> at this venue that I'm training are are harassing people or have harassed people or, or don't get why this is important, but they were forced to come because their boss made them take the training, you know, whatever. And I kind of think that by walking through what harassment looks like and why it's harmful and who it affects and, and here are all the awesome things you can do instead to help people... I think of it as kind of like a covert way to to um, make harassers stop doing what they're doing, <laughs> like without pointing fingers at mm. them or saying, you're all guilty of this, you know. Um, but I'm just sort of providing a model for like another way. And I'm, I hope that without, you know, without having to feel the shame, like any kind of public shame, that they maybe start thinking like, you know, oh shit, I've done that <laughs> and start to rethink things they've done in the past, their, their, their past actions. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's my, that's how I do it. That's my favorite way <laughs> to, to talk people through, um, becoming an ally, uh, is, um, kind of almost take them, take them on the path with the blindfold on. Like they don't really know I'm doing it they think they're going to Disneyland or something and actually <laughs> they're becoming an ally. Um, but it is, a it is a hard thing. It's a tough conversation. And I, I think that there are some tactics actually on the, um, 
showing up for racial justice website. Um, it, it, they had this great piece about, uh, like, I think right after Trump was elected, they had this great thing about how to talk about politics at Thanksgiving. <laughs> and um, basically just like, how do you stay sane and not lose your cool and, and maybe even win over some family members that are reluctant um, to come to the progressive side? And they talk about humanizing the issue, right? Personalizing it, making it like a thing where you say, well, actually, it's going, this thing is going to impact me because blah, blah, blah. Or my friend is really worried about these new, this new law because their family will be deported or, you know, like whatever's going on. Like, just talk about it like these are real people that are being affected by something. So, so you can talk about your own harassment experiences if that helps. Just say like, this is happening all the time. And just cause you don't see it, that doesn't mean it's not happening. Um, and I don't know, recommend some books or something. <laughs> Make them, I, I had a, I, I think maybe because I, because of all the work I do, I don't have a lot of patience for the one-on-one let me bring my friend over to the the light side. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest. So maybe I'm yeah. not the best person to recommend <laughs> tactics for that. Uh. What are your tactics? Uh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have I get a lot of anger about it. Um, and I don't uh, I don't know if I have great tactics it's something that I kind of am never sure like what the right thing to do is like I don't know what will make me feel best um Mm -hmm. because specifically recently I had an experience where like there's a specific person who I continue to see in like a space that I regularly go to um who made me uncomfortable and I had another he was a white man and I actually talked to another white man who I trust to talk to him um but so after he found out that I complained about him, it actually just got like much worse oh. because he was, you know, butthurt about it, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so then it's like, you know, I don't know, obviously talking to him about it didn't work. And then it's like, you know, so trying to do that again is probably not going to help. Um, avoiding that space doesn't make me feel better because it's somewhere that I would like to be. So... I don't know. I just yeah. think it's really complicated. And that's why I'm like glad we're doing this episode. And hopefully this will help other people with more options of what to do. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that like the people who have the most privilege are the most uncomfortable with changing their behavior. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like those of us that have had any sort of alternate identity or identities that aren't upheld in this society. Um you know, we've had to change our behavior a thousand times to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's really interesting when people have that like immediate defensiveness. And I mean, of course, as a white person, I think I had that growing up about racism. I was like, well, I'm, I'm not racist, you know, and it takes like a while to really know what white supremacy means and how it shows up in your life. Yeah. Um, And so I do have like empathy for that, but it is just like so classic that there's these people who are like the embodiment of privilege and um, they they cannot fathom altering their behavior or like they think that they are like they could be champions 
for um, feminism or for Black Lives Matter or for whatever it may be. But like in reality, when it comes to it, when there are these like instances like Zoe's example, it's like the the work doesn't end up happening for a lot of folks because they cannot <laughs> they cannot like fathom what it would be like to to change what they're doing. Yeah. Well, yeah. so I do. I just want to say you you did something you delegated mm. right so you tried a tactic yes i did and, try a tactic <laughs> and that person <laughs> spoke with the person in question and so that happened and what we can't control for of course is people's reactions we can control right. what we do but we can't control other people so he got upset and started doing doubling down <laughs> on whatever exactly. he was doing right yeah and so then you have another set of options or, or another, another question of just like, okay, am I, am I dropping this and just never going there? Cause I don't want to deal with this. Or mm -hmm. am I going to have the patience to try this again? Right. Because I guarantee if he's making you uncomfortable, he's making other people uncomfortable too. Totally. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we have to take on a little bit, right. For the greater good. And we don't, well, I don't want to say we don't have to. Okay. Yeah. Right. But but knowing that, like, you know what, this could affect other people. Okay, okay, I've got the time this week to deal with this, dude. All right, fine. You <laughs> yeah. know, like, yeah, you might be able to put yourself in that mood where you're like, all right, let's just do this. So you can delegate again and say, that conversation did not work. What did you say? <laughs> and can you try again? And can you just be aware that, like, he's he's getting worse? And, you know, just talk to that person and see, like, do they have any ideas? What are you going to do about this ally? What, what, you know, get involved, help me out here. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's yeah. that option. Um, another way to take control of situations where it's really hard to be in control. Right. Um, like life in general. <laughs> um, yeah. and I outline this in the book too, is just start keeping a record. When you start writing everything down, the day, the time, the place, what happened exactly, who mm -hmm. said what, and, and keeping a log, it kind of provides that proof to yourself that you're not imagining any of this. It's really happening. It's not normal. There is a pattern and you have it for future use if necessary, whether you need to present it to police, which, you know, that's up to everyone on their own, um, or the venue or this person's friends or mm -hmm. this person's mom or whoever that you need to be like, yo, this person is not doing well and they need to <laughs> stop this behavior. Yeah. Um, you have it if you need it. And by just having it, it can make you feel a little better about the situation. Um, and other options, you know, maybe you get fed up enough that you actually confront the person directly and say, this is what you're doing. It's not okay. And if you do it again, I'm going to X, Y, Z. And you be ready with, what are you going to do? Are you, are you telling the venue? Are you telling their, their employer? Like, are you telling, like, what, what are you going to do? And, you know, think it through, come up with a safety plan, like figure it out. And maybe by doing some of those things, you find something that, that works. But there's, there, there are different ways to tackle situations like that. And, and I just, you know, for anyone dealing with something like that, uh, I just want to say like, yeah, it is tough and there are no perfect 
solutions. There's no perfect answer that I can give you mm-hmm. about this situation. And while that sounds maybe on the surface very frustrating, let it be freeing, you know? Like, okay, so I'm not, you're not missing a glaringly obvious perfect thing to do. Um, you just got to think through, okay, what are my options and what do I want to do? What do I want to try? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that is really helpful and like thinking about having options because it is, it can feel like, you know, you don't really have options. Like you don't really have power. There's like nothing that you can do to make it stop. So I think it does feel good to be like, like here are specific things that maybe I can think about doing. <laughs> yeah. um, and even if it's just you post a story online, even if you keep his name out of it. Yeah. But he knows it's about him, you know, something. <laughs> yeah. some kind of mild public humiliation, you know, yeah. like there's just a ton of options and, uh, you know, get with a friend, get creative, start listing them. Um, and even just saying, dude, if you keep doing this, I am going to tell this venue to never let you come inside again. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know that they'll call your bluff or, you know, I don't yeah. know that you want to, I don't know that you want to threaten anything that you wouldn't follow through on, but, but just the idea, you know, that if someone is making you uncomfortable, like no one should feel bad about making that person uncomfortable by saying they're making you uncomfortable. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, so we're getting close to an hour here. Um, I wanted to ask a final question, which is kind of a big question, but the last chapter of the book is called This is What Justice Looks Like. Um, <laughs> so I thought the final question could be specifically to looking at, you know, within harassment, but what does justice look like for us going forward? Mm. It To me, it looks like community mm-hmm. taking part having a stake in what happens. Um, it doesn't rely necessarily on state or federal sponsored authority figures. Um, but it, it just looks like people caring about other people and what they're going through and wanting to make it better. And that takes some involvement that takes work. It's not easy, um, but it keeps more people out of jail and it changes the vibe of a community for the better, I think. Mm. So that's the kind of poetic, vague answer. Um, but I, I think in, in practice, that means somebody's got to talk something out, <laughs> you know? Whether it's, you know, mediation or going going to a community conflict resolution space or, you know, we have a restorative justice center here in Baltimore. We're very lucky to have that. Um, taking part in a process that works towards a resolve or, or a place where people can feel a little better about what happened and undo some of the harm that was caused to any victims, um, but also undo some of the circumstances that led the person to cause harm in the first place. Like they must need something or they must need to unlearn something to get to a place where they don't repeat that kind of behavior. And so what do they need? 
you know, it's, I don't know, everyone needs support in some way. And by, by helping everyone, um, involved in incidents like harassment and assault, um, we help prevent future victims. And I think that that's a really necessary thing. Mm. I love it. (laughs) Um, Where can people get your book? People can get my book uh, from akpress.org. They can also get it, hopefully, at any War on Women show. We are touring a lot this summer. Um, There are bookstores, hopefully. You know what? I think the thing to do is is to ask people to call their local brick-and-mortar bookstore and request this book. Yeah. And then go buy it from them. I think I think that's a really lovely thing. And um, it helps me get the book out in more communities that maybe wouldn't get it otherwise. Um, I'm doing a book tour uh, in May, starting in Boston on the 19th. And it goes to D.C. through May 28th. So you can look out for that. Um, on either my social media, which is mostly, you know, either at Shauna Potter Wow or on Facebook at Shauna Potter Official, or you can find it on the akpress.org website. Mm. Yeah, I saw on your book tour that um, in Philly you're doing it at Wooden Shoe, which is like an anarchist bookstore for anyone who doesn't know. And I'm from Philly originally, and that's like one of my favorite spots. So I was excited to see that. <laughs> and that's that's actually my birthday. Oh, yes. well, anyone who's in Philly, in Philly should go that day. I live in Brooklyn now, but I love that bookstore. And yeah, that's a super cool area. Yeah, Philly, as a present to me, come <laughs> to that book talk and give me a high five. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I would highly first. recommend that for everyone. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Shauna, for talking with us. And um, like your book is incredible. Everyone should read it. It was really inspiring and like also just like very validating. So really recommend it to to everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Really. Yeah. Thank you. This was great. Well, that was freaking nuts and amazing. Fuck yeah. I, okay. First of all, if if you all aren't already fans of War on Women, like first of all, what are you doing? But second of all, hop to it. Start listening to them. Ugh. I can't I can't really I'm I can't really process what's happened quite yet, but no, she was just like the nicest person I've ever spoken to and that made me feel like honestly really comforting. Yeah. Like there's definitely conversations about harassment that feel like just triggering or like upsetting to me. And that just felt really like, you know, solidarity. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Um, well, as always, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Season of the Bee. Um, you can send us your ideas or whatever on Season of the Bee at gmail.com. And you can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. And send us money on Patreon. And yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Love you. Love you. It's the Zoe and Laura hour again. <laughs> Wait, what did you say? It's the Zoe and Laura hour again. Woo! Oh, 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 oh. Love you. Bye. Bye. Season of the Bitch.